three, two, one. You're listening to The New American Left with your host, Kieran Murphy. Hello and welcome to The New American Left. This will be the second episode of our third season. And as always, thank you for listening. So we're going to take a little departure from current events for this episode. You know, as the global south is on fire, literally, the environment is collapsing, and fascism's on the rise, I figure we could all use a little break. This is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. But it was really the prodding and prompting of Seamus McWhelan, or at ArizArmedCom on Twitter, that really spurred me into doing it. So, thank you, Seamus. I appreciate the push. And with that, I'd like to present to you part one of There May Be Gods, But They Are Not Our Masters, A Leftist View of Paganism. Paganism today, is far often too associated with the far right. And while true that a lot of neo-Nazi groups have absorbed both Nordic runes or Germanic sort of gods and Viking imagery and things of that nature, there's another chunk of paganism out there that has nothing to do with them. Quite a bit of polytheism has nothing to do with them. And I think it's pretty easy to see the delineation between say, a leftist view of paganism, and what they're doing. So, we'll address that as well. But my journey to paganism, heathenism, polytheism, really began before I can remember. I guess my first realization was the lack of belief in the monotheism in which I was raised. Catholicism never really rooted with me. At my earliest, I couldn't verbalize what that meant, but as I grew and studied, the more I pulled away from it. Now, this isn't going to be about tearing down the Ibrahimic faith, and I say Ibrahimic because I think it's important that we always connect Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They are of the same line, and they do worship the same God, and they are interconnected. If that's unsettling to you, I assure you that is not my intention, but that is the history of Ibrahimic religions according to their own primary documents. So, being honest about the reality of Ibrahimic religion was my first step out of it. I won't speak for the experience of others, but being raised Catholic, you were read to believe that there was only one God, period. And I came to learn that, that that's what followers of Ibrahimic religion thought, but not what everyone thinks. And furthermore, humans as a whole have only thought that for a comparatively short amount of time. I felt compelled to find out other options that might explain my faith in a divine energy that wasn't tied to an Ibrahimic line of religions. And so this led me to ask, if monotheism, worship in one god, had only been around for a few millennia, what did we do before that? A relatively recent discovery in South Africa can shed some light on this point. At the Cave of the Rising Star, archaeologists discovered bones of a previously unknown hominid called Homo naledi. One thing that's so odd about these early ancestors is they appear to have placed their dead deep in a cave system in a ritualized manner. 
So this indicates a belief in something. We can't say what for sure, but belief in a ritual of some kind. These skeletons are 236,000 to 335,000 years old. Now, if we fast forward to 50,000 years BCE, we find Neanderthal also burying their dead in a ritualized manner. Now consider that Abraham, father of the Abrahamic line of religion, was born roughly around 1800 BCE, which means that our modern understanding of monotheism is roughly 4,000 years. I realize that Zoroastrians and followers of Akhenaten may disagree and claim they were first, but they all appear roughly 4,000 years ago. So this means that monotheism has been around on Earth for 4,000 years and only supplanted polytheism less than 2,000 years ago. Yet human ancestors have been practicing a form of faith for at least 300,000 years. All this is to say that the state of faith for a majority of human history has not been the modern concept of monotheism. Now I bring that up because most often in our modern era you are presented with two choices. Are you a monotheist, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, or are you an atheist? With a little bit of a gray area for being agnostic. When you study human history, as I've laid out, you learn that there are far more options than just those. I realized that I didn't need to make the binary choice that was presented to me because it did not feel correct. I believed in a larger power of natural forces, and within the living world around me, I was able to see divine energy, but I never really subscribed to the subservient nature of monotheism. And I point to a memory from childhood. My mom is very into her Catholic faith, but my dad, he hems and haws a little. As my dad and I were in Catholic Church, I remember asking him specifically, I said, you know, I don't really understand all this kneeling. I was like, I'm always kneeling, getting up, being told to kneel, sit down, get up. And I was like, I just hate it. And he said, well, that's because you're Irish, son. We don't kneel before any king. Now, I don't know if he knew what he was doing there. I'll never know, I guess. Dad, you'll have to tell me. But, uh... That was fundamental, I thought, to my formation. You know, it, it made me realize that I don't believe in the idea that faith, spirituality, whatever word you want to use to describe something of a divine nature, it doesn't have to be subservient. You are not its subject. But why pagan? There's all these other options. Why did I end up in what would be termed paganism? I chose to identify as pagan because it is a term to me that doesn't pigeonhole me into any certain archetype. In Christian Rome, it came to be synonymous with heathen, which many modern pagan movements use today to identify themselves. But what it really meant in ancient Latin was a person from outside the city, specifically the country. So to be a pagan was to be one of the hills. And if you lived in the hills, you still worshipped the old gods. So while Christians used heathen to mean against the one true God, they mean that because it was the word for people who lived outside their influence. And that's really why I chose the word pagan. 
because my faith, my belief system resides outside the influence of the Abrahamic religions. Now, there's a lot of different pagan or polytheistic faiths all throughout the world today, even. And there's one thing that unites those different faiths, and that's that they are rooted in personifying natural forces. The first and foremost of those natural forces is the sun itself. In Japan, it's Amaterasu. In Ireland, it's Lu. In Egypt, it's Ra. In Inca, it's Inti. In Maya, it's Kinich Ahau. In Mesopotamia, it's Utu. In Greece, it's Helios or Apollo. In Rome, they worshipped Apollo as the sun god too. Until the Emperor Aurelian ushered in the worship of Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun, and began the festival of the birthday of the sun on December 25th. Ring a bell? We'll get back to that. You'll find similar variants for other heavenly bodies and natural forces all throughout every pagan religion. The point being that in broad strokes, pagan religions share a personification of the natural forces and bodies that surround us. And to me, this rang more true than anything I had heard in Catholicism. The sun is the giver of life, so it makes sense to worship it. The moon controls the tides, which provides the conditions for life to exist, so it makes sense to worship it. So for me, science actually proves the divinity of natural forces. It's not merely anchored in a blind faith. So for me, it's almost as if paganism is the echoes of the original religion. It's the things that we all naturally gravitate towards for reasons we almost don't know why. That, to me, is a true faith because it's old and we've been doing it forever. It's, it's programmed into us almost to respect these natural forces, to respond to them. So it makes sense to worship them. Almost as if you're a pagan and you don't even know it. What I mean by that is that there are moments in nature that all inextricably draw us in. Moments that provide a true sense of beauty and awe that you cannot ignore. The perfect sunset, a running river, or a powerful storm, all these things reveal a divinity to us. In James Fenimore Cooper's The Last of the Mohicans, Hawkeye says to the priest character something to the effect of, Christians are always looking for proof of God between the pages of their book, yet if they took a walk in the woods with me, I could show them 10,000 reasons God exists. I think Hawkeye was really onto something there. Monotheism is beholden to its structure that God is all-knowing and omnipresent, and what we need to know is neatly contained in this handy book. Whereas pagans see the divine world as something we live within and interact with, but are not subservient to, the proof lies in the experience of that world, developing respect and finding balance. This is reflected in what constitutes pagan holidays celebrated on equinoxes and solstices as well as their in-between points these days are meant to keep us in tune with the wheel of the year 
which in and of itself is telling about pagan beliefs. The Wheel of the Year is meant to demonstrate that time is in fact cyclical and not linear, an important concept to realize if you wish to achieve balance in your existence. You'll notice as well that pagan holidays are at very familiar times to everyone. In Germanic tradition, there is Astara, which is celebrated on the spring equinox and is the festival of planting seeds and a renewal of life. You may know it as Easter. Those bunnies and eggs make a lot more sense now, don't they? Beltana, in the Irish tradition, is the beginning of summer festival, and it is held on May 1st. Not like leftists need another reason to celebrate May 1st, but hey, why not? Samhain is the end of fall festival and it is held to commemorate the impending winter, and it is also the time of year when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. This means that on that day, departed friends and relatives may return to this dimension and walk among us. Therefore, it's only polite for us to dress in their old clothes to make them feel comfortable. It's held on October 31st. You know it as Halloween, and you know those as costumes. So that's what the ghosts and the demons are all about. And who could forget Yule, or the Winter Solstice, held on December 21st? This festival marked the day the sun began to return to the sky and another year could begin. It is a time to share with friends and family and celebrate the culmination of another year, which is likely why the Emperor Aurelian in Rome held his festival for the unconquered sun on December 25th, and also why Christians co-opted it for their festival of the sun of God, with Christmas's origins being the pagan holiday of winter solstice, the evergreen trees, feasting, and holly and ivy suddenly make a little more sense. Also, the Yule Log. And this is really meant to show that monotheism has mostly been superimposed over our year. None of the times in which they celebrate are original. That's all things we've all been doing together for some time now. So going from the monotheistic tradition to the pagan tradition, your holy days or holidays don't change all that much. Just something interesting to note and something to remember. And I realize that this is a niche topic. And it's not my desire to try to convert you from your existing faith structure or your atheism or your agnosticism or anything like that. It's more just reaching out to the people out there who I know are probably feeling the same way I did, which is you had a pull, you had a spiritual pull, but you had nowhere to land. I mean, it's not a coincidence that paganism has been pushed out of the consciousness. It was done at the point of a sword, usually. So it's understandable that it's been gone for some time, but it is, it is ancient and it is part of us. So I'm trying to reach out to those folks who might be looking for a different option. This is just to let them know that it's out there and it's not that weird. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's as weird as you'd like to make it, but for me, it's a very easy faith system, quote unquote, because it's, it's yours and there's no centralized authority. There's groups if you want to join them, but they're all pretty open. There's no obligation, you know, usually to, you know, commit to one place every Sunday morning, no offense. Uh, but you know, there's not, there's nothing like that. There's no structure. It's built 
it's DIY <laughs> for very much <laughs> for everyone. And it, you know, it could be a very personal meditative process. You know, it's just a way for you to connect with nature. You'll find no subservience here. The gods are something we interact with, not kneel to. Their power is something to be witnessed in awe, not obeyed. These are the important tenets of my personal paganism. And if people are out there wondering to themselves, like, well, how do I do it? How do I, how would I get into this? I would simply encourage them to begin to read. There's so many mythological material from polytheistic societies available to you. Just start reading it. Take some notes. One of the things you're going to notice is that there's a lot of overlap. A lot of these ancient religions have crossover with themes, you know, general ideas of, you know, light, dark, balance, uh, life, death, rebirth, growth, like all these type of uh, allegories that they'll all use. There's so much commonality that you're able to sort of draw from that, the commonality itself. You actually listen to what everyone has to say, and it's like, you know, taking a large cross-section and just seeing what we all used to believe in. These were core. These are old beliefs that have survived a long time. And that would be the best way to get into it is just start reading it. Personally, for me, being Irish, it was natural to go through the Gaelic pantheon, the Celtic pantheon of gods. Those were the legends that I grew up reading and being read to me. So it was a natural sort of gateway for me to get in there. But it's a great tool to expose yourself to other cultures as well. So there's, you know, some obvious side benefits to doing that. But it also will start to show you, especially when you go from, say, my personal culture, Irish, far flung around the world, and you compare myths, and there's so many similarities. You know, there's these common themes that we all agree on. And it's, it's so comforting to see that for me. I, I really enjoy that. I find it, it's a great way to appreciate other cultures. It's a great way to connect and bond over things. And that would be the best way to start. So maybe start with your personal culture, if that's another easy gateway for you, or if not, start anywhere. But it really gets interesting when you get to the compare and contrast sort of phase. So I encourage you to, to start heading that way. And it's about, it's about your spiritual freedom. It's not about threatening you with damnation or, or not going to heaven or, or, or anything of that nature. It's about your spiritual growth and understanding with the nature that surrounds you. That's the key element. And it's important to remember that because I think it's often forgotten. And I'll update my dad's saying, my dad's quote, we're leftists. We don't kneel before any king. Join us next time for part two of There May Be Gods, But They Are Not Our Masters, a leftist view of paganism, where we'll discuss the far right seizing upon mostly Norse mythology and imagery and what we can do to stop it and how we can reclaim the space. So until next time, don't get captured.
You've been listening to The New American Left. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and visit us at thenewamericanleft.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at the new A-M-E-R left.